Welcome to the Smith and Rowland Show. Let's join our host, Alan Smith and Jeff Rowland. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Smith and Rowland Show. Good afternoon, Jason. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good. How are you doing? Oh, don't, we Jason. don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Jason, just look at him. Just yeah. look at him. I'm well, looking at him. if you do that, yeah, then I you're going to get the wrong idea because I'm not doing nearly as good as I look. Really? I mean, grief. <laughs> well, he's bad shape. Did well. You, <laughs> did you have a good day today, Alan? Had a great day. Had a good, good day. service? Yeah, good service. It, you preached up? Yeah, and it felt good. To, I just feel good when I've been to church. I don't oh, know. absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people dread it, but I feel... I feel like I've been to church. Yeah, that feels I'd good. be honest with you, I, all week I, I couldn't wait till Sunday got that's here. Right, that's I, right. I, I go from Sunday to Sunday nearly, and that's too too much. It's too long. <laughs> it's too long. I ain't used to that. That's right. Oh, listen, we've got some good stuff here today. I think Jason's yeah, going to lead us in. He I, is, but yeah. Before right before we get started on that, we need to just set a little framework for yeah. because what we're looking at is. Um, some videos that represent a system of Bible interpretation. And and that's kind of what, I mean, you've been mm-hmm. talking about this for a long time. There's so many different systems of interpreting the Word of God. And so that's kind of what this video is about uh, as far as Bible interpretation goes. You've got dispensational viewpoints. You've got covenant theology uh, viewpoints, which he's going to be discussing those two. On this video, you have then breakoffs. I, I call them breakoffs. They may be mainstream now. I don't know, but you got like a dominionist point of view of Bible interpretation, mm-hmm. and that is somewhat of a breakoff. It is. It's not. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't view that as a mainstream Bible interpretation theory or system. Hmm. I, w- I wouldn't view it that way. Mm-hmm. But what we watched in this video, I thought was just. It was captivating. This guy did a phenomenal job of uh, presenting two systems of Bible interpretation because the two systems that he really deals with, I do view them, both of these systems, as kind of in the mainstream of Christianity. Yeah, they would be. And plus you have a, I thought he handled it well. Oh, man. Uh, Because even you and I and Jason, we all got our persuasions, if you will. Yeah, of of some Bible interpretation, but we like to respect each other with where people are. That's all. We yeah. don't like to. Uh, if you're a dominionist or a covenant theology or yeah, or or you know, what, the, the one thing we like to respect each other. Yeah, exactly. Last week I was in a uh, doing an event, and I told them of a verse of scripture that you and I, I guess have drove a stake down mm-hmm. on, with what we do and, and how we believe. God places us in the body as it pleases That's right. him. That's right. So to respect someone else's viewpoint, I think, is is very important. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that you violate any doctrine you hold dear or anything like that, but to understand that there's salvation and that can't be jeopardized. Mm-hmm. Salvation is by grace, through faith, because of the shed blood of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. If we can agree on that, then all other things, mm-hmm. all other things, we may disagree on minor points of doctrine, mm-hmm. but on that essential, that's right. That's what's important. And we're living in a time now where a lot of people are, are 
falling prey to an elitist type mm-hmm. spirit. And it kind of sets them up as spiritually superior to others. You always have to be careful. We all have to be careful in excluding, as we exclude others, it's just inevitable for some reason. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not, it doesn't have to be inevitable, but it's like in the body of Christ, uh, whether you be um, in the predestination in Calvinism or, or Baptist or dispensational or covenant theology or whatever, we tend to exclude yeah. each other based on certain uh, Bible yeah, I mean, doctrines. Uh, and I, uh, something about our message of the gospel has got to supersede those lines. Absolutely. That, that, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some that believe that they, you know, you're saved forever and you can never lose your salvation. Yeah. There's others that believe they can lose their salvation. That's right. There's a lot of people that they don't fellowship with somebody if they believe different. What? You and I came to an agreement back during the days of Shiloh that right. we come to this conclusion, rather. It was a conclusion. God's not waiting on us to get all of our T's crossed right and our I's dotted mm-hmm. right before he blesses us. Mm-hmm. So to acknowledge that, I think, is important. However, I do believe that we are supposed to consider the Scriptures as deeply as we possibly can to get the right understanding mm-hmm. Of what the Word of God is saying to yeah, us. Yeah, but there's that. there's really nothing like at the beginning of a, about a six hour road trip. So who's pre, post, mid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, that is fun. It, hey, well, it can it can cause the time to pass by <laughs> real quick. It or, sure. or very slow. Yeah, or, <laughs> or very slow. <laughs> yeah, whichever the case may be. So <laughs> that's a pro tip for road trips. That's right. <laughs> a whole bunch of people you don't know. Who here is pre-trib? <laughs> well, introduce this guy, Jason. Read us the, his bio. And, we and think he's – Jeff and I have yeah. kind of watched some of his teaching, and we mm-hmm. like it, and we thought maybe we could discuss these two yeah. comparisons. Well, um, it is um, Discover the Book Ministries. Um, mm-hmm. You can find him on YouTube, it looks like, at DTBM. Uh, it says here, Discover the Book Ministries is a partnership of people from everywhere. John Barnett has ministered who help spread God's word through taking the lessons already taught to the, a local church and making them available free of charge all over the USA and the world. Amen. Uh, it says he founded DTBM as a nonprofit, currently sending evangelic and Bible teaching materials all over the world, 70 yeah. countries. Wow. He looks like they're based in Tulsa. Right. And, um, there are other locations they support for translation work mm. in Russia, Jordan, Brazil, and Korea. Wow, that's good. And, um, he's been teaching the Word of God for 30 years, born and raised in Michigan. We won't hold that against him. That's right. And he studied at Michigan State University, Bob Jones University, and looks like some other stuff I can't say. Yeah, Labrie. So, Labrie, where, that was old. Labrie uh, Fellowship. That, in that's in uh, Switzerland. Yeah. yeah, that's old. What's his name? Oh my goodness! Well, it's he's not, I, I can't think. Labrie Fellowship. He yeah. was also. If Trevor was here, he could so I know all that's him. impressive to y'all. But what's impressive yeah. to me is he's had 120 million views on his YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean y'all, y'all take off. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's impressive. That is kind of impressive, so, isn't it, Jay? It is very much impressive. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, seems like be a stand-up guy. I have not heard any of this. So, right, this right. is new for me. I know y'all been listening. Well, we, to it. well, we just watched it once, but enough to. Do you want to give us a, kind of a little bit of a lead-in about yes, what, what we're I getting can. ready to watch? He was doing a comparison of covenant theology versus dispensationalism and he did a very good job he 
pointed out, if you will, kind of the warts on both sides. On both sides, yes. He he showed what kind of what they meant, and then he kind of showed the warts on the different. Well, he went into the excesses. He went into it was really the excesses. I think that where you would have a problem, but he shows kind of some of the differences. Because in covenant theology, and Jeff and I, we, we're trying to, we're on this little journey, Jeff and myself, in Bible uh, discussions of covenant theology versus Calvinism yeah. uh, versus uh, dispensationalism. Yeah. Because today you have a lot of Reformed Calvinist yeah. uh, churches. And not only that, you have a lot of the younger generations are kind of leaning in a lot of they are reformed theology they are and i can understand it's good yeah. good bible teaching you yes know? and that vody buckham was that yeah. his name yeah mm-hmm. uh, i think he is he's all over uh, yeah. the internet with yeah. uh, getting a, a lot of and he's he's right straight down your alley bible yeah he runs i think with john MacArthur. Or something. yeah he does yeah in which you and i are are not known to be a staunch Calvinists by no stretch of the No, we're not, no. But, mm-hmm. but we have discovered in our conversations with each other that we are a little bit Calvinistic in that when God chose Abraham, uh, you and I were in agreement. Well, that kind of looks like he was, that was more of a Calvinistic thinking. Well, you can grasp the idea of election uh-huh. in God's choosing of the people that he chose. Right. I still hold true to the fact that I've never believed, nor will I ever believe, that God violates man's free will. Mm-hmm. And that is a semantic point in many cases. Where the dangers lie is if you embrace a certain theology, the dangers is where does it lead you? Right. And if you get led to a certain point that's not in agreement with the end result of the Word of God, mm-hmm. then it can't be right, mm-hmm. you know, and it can't be spiritually healthy. Correct. So that's, I mean, I do agree with that. And I'm hoping in, in the podcast to come, we're going to dis- discuss some of the points of Calvinism mm-hmm. and where we stand on that. But this guy did such a great job of presenting dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. There's dispensationalists, there's hyper-dispensationalists, and this guy does it exactly the way that I embrace dispensationalism. That's the way this guy presents it. Yeah, and so it just it did uh, it encouraged me in in watching this guy. Yeah, he did. A, I think he. If Jason wants to start the clip, we'll okay. ask him perhaps to stop it along yeah, the way. Pause it along I think the way this clip can. is seventeen, eighteen minutes, perhaps. Yeah. And if we have time, uh, yeah. John MacArthur's got one. It's not but about seven or eight minutes, yeah. but we uh, might. Yeah. I, I, I hope we have because, time. Let's, yeah. let's try to save time for that. For the, I, and, and what yeah. we've got going on here is a collision, if you will, of covenant theology, dispensational theology, and Calvinism, yeah. or election, uh, John MacArthur. And where it leads you theology, in eschatology, in end time. In, with, in relation yeah. to eschatology, yeah. end times. Yeah. Okay, Jason, it's all yours, and I've also got my Jeff. I came out of base camp, and I went. I went into Kingdom Prophetic Society under YouTube. So if there's any chat that comes into us, yeah, boy. uh, Okay, that's good. Jason can alert us, and you and I can see it there also. The question is Romans. This is just for me, so I won't write it very big. Romans eleven twenty six. But what I'm going to cover is uh, dispensationalism and covenant theology, and Israel. And that will be an interesting 
topic. What's going to happen is Zechariah chapter 12. This is, um, and by the way, what I'm doing right now, uh, and I, I should draw this, I've just crossed the line because there are two main ways of looking at the scripture. There is the covenant theology. Uh, they call themselves the covenanters. I don't know how, covenanters? I don't know. The covenant theologians, covenanters. And then there's the dispensational theological view. And basically, when they look at the scriptures, they look at it through two different sets of lenses. Um, covenant the theologians, the covenant theologians are almost 100% um, Calvinists. The other dispensationalists are not all. Notice he said almost. Almost, yeah. Calvinists. Basically, the covenant theologians believe that there are two covenants. Now, there is the new, the NCT, the new covenant theology. This is just CT. They call this in abbreviations, and this is uh, DP, dispensational and covenant theology. There is another branch called the new covenant theologians. Uh, if you've heard of John Piper, he's an example of a modified NCT. Piper would be believing in a millennium. Uh, he would also believe that, um, oh, he has, you know, he, he, he differs a little bit from classic covenant theology. Um, but uh, they believe in two covenants. And I don't want to See, that's why I never finish. It just keeps going wider. But they believe in a covenant of works, and that was enforced before the fall, and then they believe in a covenant of grace, and that was from the fall onward. Uh, the dispensationalists believe in seven, uh, and I'm, I'm not a uh, card-carrying, spouting. It's like uh, innocence. I mean, I've never memorized these. Innocence, come on. You know what I mean? What it is, there are seven dispensations, and basically... Yeah, what is it? Conscience. Uh, I know what they are. It's, it's from before the fall. It's from the fall to Babel. It's from, you know, you go like that, and, and you go through seven different ways that God dealt with people, but the same plan of salvation all the way through. Can and we, we get pause that right Sinai, there? And we have Jason. law, and then we get to the cross. We have grace, and then at the end we have... I think what he said there is extremely important that people understand that in the dispensations, the seven dispensations, he said there was a common thread running through that mm -hmm. was the theme of salvation. Mm -hmm. So to separate the dispensations is impossible. Mm -hmm. If you separate the dispensations and allow them to stay, stay distinct within themselves, then there is no way that you can keep the common thread of salvation. Also, it will lead you to a perverted type of doctrine at the end, mm -hmm. you know, when you end up, if you don't allow the dispensations to overlap and to build truth upon truth. And the reason I wanted him to stop it there is you made a statement a few weeks back, and I, don't, I won't be able to articulate this, but... Three includes one and two, but two doesn't include three. Mm -hmm. Well, it's saying in Scripture, one includes one. Yeah. Two includes one and two. Right. And three includes one and, and two, two and three. That's right. But two doesn't include three. That's exactly. It and can't. It can't. That's right. It can't. And so that's the way it is. Because the, it hadn't been dispensed. It hasn't been dispensed. That's yet. right. So, but the latter dispensations 
I believe, do include the former dis- dispensations. In other words, I, if you got seven dispensations, and you know that's just a that's a term used for a concept. It's that's it's, exactly. it's you know a lot of people say, well, you draw a line here and you draw. A line. I, I understand that for teaching Bible, but to say that the scriptures are technically just a running verbiage from God, so to say you cut God off here and you cut God off there. I think the dispensational understanding comes out of rightly dividing the word. So therefore, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you come up with this concept of how to rightly divide or handle correctly some. But in a dispensational teaching, you'll say rightly dividing or making a straight mark or straight line. Sometimes that doesn't lend uh, truth to the text because when uh, you and I are more the persuasion, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you and I are more under the persuasion that when God dispenses a truth, that truth is here for eternal. It has to be. <laughs> it has to be. Because truth is eternal. And then you have the next truth dispense. You can call it dispensation, call it a tr- whatever. Right. And, and does it look like God has dealt differently with man down through the ages? Of, of course it does, but it's based on that truth that has been dispensed, if you will. There is no way that you could interpret under the dispensation of conscience. Mm-hmm what was going on under the dispensation of innocence. Mm-hmm. Because innocence, man was pure. Mm-hmm. Sin had not happened. So then when sin enters, you enter into a new time. You enter into a, a different dispensation. Mm-hmm. So Those things have, have changed. Somebody, exactly. somebody up the ante. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, something So the, the thought of dispensationalism, it is what I embrace, but I just wanted uh, it really... Na- I've not heard many people say there's this common thread that runs, mm-hmm. and there is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what causes the dispensations to overlap. Correct, correct. Yeah. So go ahead. Of the millennium. And, and boy, they don't like that. And uh, this, they, they look at it like we have seven different whatevers. And we look at them and we say, whoa, covenant of works isn't even in the Bible, that, that wording. And the covenant of grace, the word grace doesn't even show up until Genesis 6. So how, what, when did God make a covenant of grace? You know, and so, you know, we look at theirs, they look at ours, and it's just all this stuff. Basically, covenant theologians, though, are characterized by seeing the Bible allegorically. This is probably the key. This is important. Um, yes, and, important. and here, seeing the Bible, the dispensationalists see it Literally. That's now, right. it doesn't mean we don't believe there aren't figurative languages, uh, you know, apocalyptic literature. There's, there, there are figures of speech. But the message, uh, basically an allegorical interpretation, which was popularized by a guy named Augustine. Uh, it was thought up, though, far before St. Augustine in the 5th century by a guy named Origen, he originated it. His name was Origen. He was in the second and third century in Egypt, in Alexandria. So he was very early. Augustine is, is uh, more in the 400s, uh, 360s to 400s. But basically what they said is, if the Bible says something, it probably means something else. And so if the Bible says, um, I will give to your, your uh, descendants the land from the Euphrates River to the Great Sea down to the Sea of e- or the River of Egypt, they think that's what God said to Abraham. And they go, what would that mean? Mm. Well, what it means is that 
uh, Christians are going to um, convert the whole world. And so, you know, that Christianity is going to sooner or later dominate. It doesn't mean that God literally gave Israel the title deed to from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean down to the River of Egypt. Because it couldn't mean that. Because in the 5th century, the Jews were exiled all over the world and they weren't even living in Israel and they didn't even like them. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, they were Christ killers. That's yeah. what Jews were. That's right. Christ killers. That's what the church fathers thought of them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah. what Martin Luther thought of them. That's right. Listen Martin to Luther that. wrote a whole track to the German nobility and told them to kill the Christ killers. Kill the Jews. Luther wrote that. Hitler read that. And he did it mm-hmm. 500 years later. So, so how could you think that that Abraham's promise could mean a physical land. So you start allegorizing. And allegorizing means that Scripture doesn't mean what it says. It means something else. And I tell you what it means. And it's really fun. You go to the that's tabernacle. That's, you read that's the private interpretation. The and, and I'm not talking about the, the types of Christ. I'm talking about the spoon. Here's, a, here's an allegorical interpretation of the incense spoon. Here's the bowl of the spoon. Here's the handle. And they said that the bowl of the spoon speaks of our capacity of grace and the handle speaks of how long God is long-suffering with us. And I thought, when I read Exodus about making silver spoons, I think they made silver spoons. (laughs) I take it literally. (laughs) But there is always an allegorical meaning that you have to have a key to. And so what you, you find is the key is a code that this means this, this means this, this means this, this means this. So you can't stop right read here. the Bible. And there's, a, there's an interesting uh, thing there with allegories. As he said, that almost gives you a license to get any interpretation you want to give Scripture. We understand that there are allegories, but... If you're on the right side of, of that screen, more of a dispensational theology, you believe in symbols, and so that symbols, therefore, can lend way to an allegorical type of understanding. In other words, you'd sacrifice a turtle dove. Well, yeah. the symbol of that turtle dove, they kind of go al- allegorical, if you will, that that's a type of Christ being yeah. sacrificed. Mm-hmm. So, But you have a symbol or you have something literal to go with the allegory. I'm probably misusing the words, but anyway, that's the way it works. Yeah. And, but that goes strictly without, just because it hits your brain that the river means this and a bird in the tree means that, and you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That means that Scripture, as you said, is going to private interpretation, and we know the Scripture tells us not to do that. Not to do that. We're mm-hmm. warned against that. We're warned now, against that. The excess of that is that some go to this thing of extra-biblical revelation. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of um, independent Baptists and others, I don't want to pick on, I shouldn't even said that, but mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people think, you know, mm-hmm. that you cannot allow for extra-biblical revelation. My understanding is, is the literal interpretation of Scripture can lead you to revelation of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not just in your life, but in deeper understanding of truth. Because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So you can see dimensions of truth because it's eternal. In mm-hmm. its very nature, it's eternal. So when we read it in a literal text, 
And I, I love what Chuck Missler said. He said the older he got, the more literally he took yeah, the Bible. That's right. With that understanding, and we know that truth is eternal, we're in a temporary dimension here of time. So our most of the time, our first interpretation comes as a, an interpretation through the dimension of time. And as we embrace that truth, the eternality of that truth then leads us into deeper dimensions of it, which I believe exactly. is revelation. Mm-hmm. Those are not extra biblical revelation. It's deeper biblical revelation in the Word of God. So I, I think that's important. But now what he says there is that this gives people a key. Come and get interpretation from me because I have a deeper understanding than you. So mm-hmm. there is this opportunity for, for the enemy to take that and to create an elitist mindset. A, a spiritual superiority mindset mm-hmm. that I think is prevailing in the church. And I think that's one of the things that Satan's using to attack the church. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe the way I do, or if you don't agree with my understanding, then you are spiritually inferior. Well, it gets down to also, uh, Jeff, not everybody in the church believes that God still uh, can speak outside of the Bible. Yeah. So, you know, you know how that is. I mean, yeah. probably most of Christendom, I would say, well, I don't know. I, I don't really know there's numbers. But anyway, there's a lot of believers that do not believe that God speaks outside of the Bible. We believe that God speaks with the Bible. We believe, in other words, we believe that God's Word teaches us how to hear His voice. In other words, I can get in a car and go out here on the highway, and that highway can be a biblical highway. I can drive straight down the road, turn left, turn right. In other words, I'm following the path of the Word of God. Yeah. And I, I learn how to drive on it. Mm-hmm. If I go to another road that's not in the Bible, mm-hmm. I know how to drive because I learned from the Bible. Yeah. In other words, it's extra biblical somewhat because I'm on a road that's not in the Bible. That's right. And so when we and so there we get into more of an <clears throat> allegorical type of understanding. Well, I need to apply to what's in the Word of God here, yeah. to a contemporary situation that I'm in to today, and to do that and to transpose, if you will, the Word of God into a situation today mm-hmm. it's not allegorical but it's a type of thinking that's allegorical yeah. and that we're taking some out of the word of god we're trying to apply it to today mm-hmm. and that application i get and i understand but then when you get into eschatology you start getting into a different world yes but anyway yes. go yeah. ahead if i can share one thing before we, this is of a little bit of a personal nature but I, i'm facing some things physically and through prayer, mm-hmm. I have I've heard the voice of God. Mm-hmm. I've heard His voice, and I know it's I know it's Him. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, He's been saying the same thing to me over the past two to three weeks. Every time I pray, I know this is personal, but can you would you share it to the audience? Oh yeah, as far as personally, what's going on? Yeah, in you? Uh, I've been diagnosed with cancer for the second time. Mm-hmm. I'm faced with a pretty radical surgery mm-hmm. and um, so i've been and in praying about this and asking god for direction and here's what i've heard the, the voice of the lord say mm-hmm. i'm with you mm-hmm. i'm with you mm-hmm. i've heard him say it over i can be praying about something else and, and you'll hear it i'm with you <laughs> that's what i hear mm-hmm. now his voice does not violate his word of course His word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I know that was the voice of God. It's in agreement with his word. Mm -hmm. Though I heard his voice in such a powerful way 
that it gave me great comfort in mm-hmm. facing this that I'm facing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's not extra biblical. <clears throat> However, when somebody says they've heard the Lord speak, I think that we ought to we need to pay attention to what, what we need God to honor said. it. We need um, to honor it. It needs you know, to be honored. Now this is extra biblical, but I had a dream about you last night. In the dream, you had surgery. It wasn't nothing to it. Everything was fine. And in four days, you were out running around, acting crazy again. You know, that was, you can say that's a dream, but I, I'm choosing to believe that that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I I'm mean, choosing to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe it's going to happen as well. And I do believe that's part of the Lord saying, I'm, if the Lord's presence is with me, then anything that happens is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but I have that confidence because he has spoken. Mm-hmm. We need, as believers, to be able to hear his voice. I think so. However, in terms of what he's saying, mm-hmm. there is this almost, I, I, I want to call it like a gravitational pull mm-hmm. with people who are trying to get a revelation mm-hmm. that no one else has, mm-hmm. that no one else has ever thought of or spoken to speak out so that others will come to them for their exactly. revelatory needs. Mm-hmm. And that is against Scripture. That is. Mm-hmm. That's against Scripture. Mm-hmm. So if what he's talking about leads to that, then what he's talking about is wrong. Exactly. You know, that's yeah. That would be the basis mm-hmm. because it violates the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's go, Jay. Know what it says. So you need someone to interpret for you and you use the allegorical form. And I'm giving you the extreme of covenant theology. The other end over here has its problems too. Uh, Dispensationalists can get to the point, we even have some dispensationalists that say that the New Testament doesn't start until Acts chapter 9. That's the conversion of Saul to Paul. And so what they say is that, that the Lord's Supper, sadly, is in Matthew 22. What is that? Old Testament. They also say that that baptism is also Old Testament. And so that's called hyper-dispensationalism. And there's a lot of others that that say all kinds of stuff, like the Sermon on the Mount is not for us, it's for the Jews. Uh, And you could go through. There's just controversy on both sides. But basically, here's the essence between the two. The church, now this is oversimplifying, but helping you with what we're doing. The church has taken the place of Israel. And so what you do is you say, God's done with Israel, and all the promises that God made to Israel now go to the church. That's covenant theology, and that's why Mr. Piper has become a new covenant theologian, because he believes that promises after studying the Bible his whole life. He believes that promises made to Israel, many of them can be fulfilled in the millennium. Mm -hmm. So he has started believing in the millennium. Just to give you an example of modified covenant theologians. Um, Over here, we believe that the church is distinct and not equal to Israel. In other words, uh, Israel has a future when the church leaves the world, as in the evangelists to the world, the 144,000, 
as in those who are going to, to be actually living around the Holy Land with a temple, which is what Ezekiel 40 to 48 describes. You talk about an interesting passage to try and allegorize. <laughs> Ezekiel 40 to 48, the last chapters of Ezekiel, um, say that Israel is literally going to be in the Holy Land celebrating three of the seven feasts from Leviticus. That would be hard to make an allegory. And That's they're right. going to have this gigantic temple. And this temple is going to be so big that they're going to invite the whole world to come. And the Lord says, if you don't come through the temple once a year, I won't rain on your crops. Okay, so, so what I am sharing with you now as we go to Zechariah is not the covenant theology view. It's the dispensational view of, of a difference between Israel and um, the church. So look what happens in chapter 12 of Zechariah. So it goes Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew. So just back up to the big book before Matthew if you don't know the minor prophets very well. And, and first thing it says is in verse 10 that the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured out on them. Now, this group, not the ends, but the covenant theologians would say, now this is future, so that must be the church. But when is the church ever called the house of David in the Bible? Yeah. Unless you allegorize. That's right. Have a key over here. It, it just says what it means. God says, in a future day, when the whole world, verse 2 of chapter 12, all the surrounding peoples are sieging and besieging Jerusalem, in that moment, verse 9 says, I'm going to seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. When has God ever destroyed all the nations coming against the Christians? This isn't Jerusalem, the church. Right. This is Jerusalem, the city that God's forever put his name, he's associated his name with. And, and at this climactic moment, I'm going to pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace, and they will look on me whom they pierce. Mm. The Jews, that's who they are. The inhabitants, the, the, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to look in that day on me whom they pierced. And you know what's really interesting? If you, if you look... Starting in verse 3, I, verse 4, mm. thus says the Lord, I, I in verse 4, verse 6, in that day, I, verse 7, the Lord, and by the way, that's the word, that's the ineffable name of God, his, his covenant name, that is Yahweh, Jehovah, this is, the, this is the big name, you notice it's in all caps, if you have one of those kind of Bibles, it talks about, it's not L-O-R-D, uh, but it's L capital O R D. That's his his covenant name. Verse eight, the Lord. Verse nine, still talking. I. Verse ten, they look on me. Mm. When did Jehovah get pierced on the cross? Yes. And the Jews will finally believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Try. And they'll look on him, and just like all of us got saved by the Holy Spirit pouring out his grace, it says, I will pour on them the spirit of grace and supplication, verse 10, as they look on me whom they pierced, and they will mourn. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7? Godly sorrow works repentance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They sorrow. See, they're saved. 
See, that's one of the, the distinctions of dispensationalism. Everyone is saved the same way. That's right. They're saved by grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. They're saved by faith. Abel offered that sacrifice, never having seen Christ. But he offered a sacrifice because God asked for it, and he trusted in a substitute. So everyone is saved, not by being perfect and then failing and then under grace, but by the way, just to be kind to the, or the covenant theologians, the covenant theologians acknowledge that under their covenant of grace, there is a covenant that God made with Noah, and there's a covenant God made with Israel at Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. and there's the new covenant. So actually, they come up with almost seven subsets under their covenant of grace, but the essence is not that. The essence is that they do not see, it's called replacement theology. Israel has been replaced by the church permanently. And we believe that temporarily the church has taken the forefront in God's yes. plan, but he's returning and we are not synonymous with yeah. Israel. So what is this, all Israel be saved? If you keep reading, by the time you get to chapter 14, uh, they look up and it says that the Lord saves the remnant. And what is that? Those are the Jews that are sovereignly elected. Now now Sheriff's, we're on this side of the page. Because remember, Calvinists believe in the five. Uh, one thing to take note here is he goes into the 144,000, I think, in Revelation mm -hmm. where he's headed here. What happens in tribulation periods, two-thirds of the Jews, of course, are going to die. Yeah. And we know that this is talking about a purification of the nation. Israel sounds yeah. like a rough way to purify, but nonetheless, that's God. That's God. And so that'll leave a third of the Jews, which we know is 144,000, and mm -hmm. then there'll be a, some scattered other ones. But I, I wonder at times, Jeff, if some of the other ones saved during that time uh, wouldn't be those of the Laodicea church— uh, they were not raptured. Uh, yep. And the rapture, in a way, is kind of a purification of the church. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, that's the way I view they that. They still get another run at it, but they don't have to go endure to, through the, to the end through yeah. tribulation. I, I, I preach that the apostate church is going to go through the tribulation. The remnant mm -hmm. in the church will be raptured Just out. Just like the 144,000. Absolutely. And sometimes I think people confuse the two, thinking, well, there'll be a great revival in the end times, but I think they're coming from the 144,000 yeah. uh, scripture, mm -hmm. and I'm all for an, out, uh, an outpouring. I mean, Lord knows. Oh, I mean, absolutely. But, yeah. but what the scriptures are telling us to look for is a great falling away, yeah. and that that great falling away, I think that's part of the purging, just like you said, if you will, yeah. of the church, and those that are raptured out or those that are truly have made a commitment to Christ, those that are staying they have a form of Christianity. And, you know, Jesus yeah. said, hey, I didn't, I didn't know you the reason you're not here. Yeah. But it's not to say that they don't get another run at it <laughs> through tribulation, I guess you could say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want to say this. I want to point this out. In talking about the co he made mention that, I guess, covenant theology in some ways have, has changed right. through time. He gives a simplified version at the beginning of, the, of this presentation. Then he alludes to the fact that a lot of people, you know, have the old covenant, then the covenant of grace, that they include all the other covenants. There's eight major covenants in the Bible, four are conditional, four are unconditional. Mm -hmm. God's covenants are still in effect. Mm -hmm. We're not denying the covenants. Uh, for example, the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. 
And it's unconditional, by the way. And it says in there that God will bless those that blesses Israel Mm -hmm. and will curse those that curse. That is a covenant still in effect. What uh, a lot of the Baptists call the Palestinian covenant. It is still in effect. Mm -hmm. It was God that bordered out the land. Mm -hmm. Israel don't even have authority to give away their land. It's not theirs to give away. It's God's land. Mm -hmm. He bordered that and allows them to live there. The Davidic covenant, still in effect. That's why we believe in a coming king, Mm -hmm. is because of the Davidic covenant. So I think it's important that that at least people that's listening to us will understand that we acknowledge the covenants. Yeah, and I think we need to take note also in Matthew chapter 1 when you open up your New Testament, that it begins with these are the generations of yeah, Abraham and David. That's so, exactly So right. the Bible's right. citing the two major covenants. Absolutely. Abrahamic covenant. And the Davidic, Davidic covenant. covenant. Yes. So that, it appears to me, that would be your two. It's, well, Abraham's about land, yeah. and Davidic's about a king sitting on that land, ruling that's and reigning. Right. And to all of the climate change people out there, the Noahic covenant, still in effect. <laughs> still in effect. God said he's not going to destroy the world with with water, with fire. God's not going to destroy it that way again. He put a rainbow in the clouds to, you know, and I know that the the, uh, uh, perverted crowd has stolen the rainbow, but that's God. They like that promise so much, they fly it around. (laughs) They're like, please, Lord. (laughs) But he's fixing to go into the 144,000, and that, 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 uh, I think it's uh, exactly what you're talking about. All right, let's do it. All right, here we go. But uh, we do know that that God elects, God chooses. How he does it is in his sovereign plan. But that he does it is clear in the scriptures. God reached down and looked down all over the world and said, I'm I'm taking Abraham, and I'm going to reveal myself to him. I pick him. Now, why did he not pick Terah, his dad? That's the mystery of God. And, and don't spend and that's your time somewhat election later. That, right. As Mark Twain said, it's not what I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me, it's what I do. Okay, so don't worry about what you that's don't right. understand. <laughs> just focus on what you do. And God's sovereign election, and, and by the way, the, the, one of the biggest problems that Jonathan Edwards and John Calvin have on this side is they can't reconcile the sovereign election of the people of Israel with the church mm-hmm. and they think that that God sovereignly elected Israel which means the church but God has sovereignly elected the people of Israel and in the very end Jerusalem just so we don't spend the whole night on this question we already did um, at Jerusalem will be surrounded by all the armies of the world and it's the time we call Armageddon and they're all marching in and they're destroying the city Zechariah if you want to read it sometime they're raping the women they are murdering the people it's just a horrific time and right when it gets down to the remnant which the Bible names as a third yeah. so a third of the inhabitants of Jerusalem he has, he has chosen and they are butchering and killing and raping and pillaging all the armies of the world. But when they cross that line and they get down to that remnant, here comes Christ in the clouds. And he stops it, and they look at him, and it's like they're at a Billy Graham crusade. They come walking down with tears down their face toward him. And they believe and are saved. And he destroys all the surrounding 
the word in Hebrew is everybody that is touching them are instantly destroyed. And those, that remnant, by the way, Zechariah and Ezekiel tell us, become, and so does Jesus in Matthew 25, in the sheep and the goats. They become, with the 144,000 and anybody that survives the tribulation that believed through the message of the angel, the two prophets, and the 144,000, Mm-hmm. They become the literal physical human beings that cross over from the tribulation into the millennial world of Amen. chapter 20 of Revelation right. and 24% of the Old Testament describes the millennium. Wow. It's where the knowledge of the Lord uh, is like the waters of the sea. It's, it's just everywhere on the planet. And it's unbelievable that those people, the remnant, the one-third of the inhabitants of Jerusalem that look up and believe, that's Romans eleven twenty-six, the 144,000 and all their converts walk in and are the only people to inhabit the millennium. Mm. They get the whole world to themselves. Mm. Yeah. And it, it appears, if you read uh, chapter, the, chapter 40 onward of Isaiah, it appears it's quite a nice place to live. There are no poisonous spiders, no poisonous snakes. Um, people don't die. Uh, in fact, if you die at the age of 100 because you're a rebel, they think that something's wrong with you because it's so <laughs> unusual. So what does Acts or Romans eleven twenty six mean to answer the question? It's about sovereign election. It means God is going to pick a third of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and at the height of the tribulation, those people are going to be convicted of their sin, drawn by the Holy Spirit, and they're going to believe on Christ. <laughs> and that is election. That's because election. two-thirds have already been destroyed. All of them That's right. all believe. Not yeah. the whole nation of Israel without wanting to cooperate. They're going to be like Paul. Paul said this, his testimony. Paul was riding a horse to Damascus, was knocked on the ground, and Jesus looked at him and blinded him with his glory. But Jesus didn't force Paul to become a Christian. You know what Paul said? I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. There is the human response to God's election, to God's choosing and calling and drawing us. There's a human response, the response of faith. So that's what that means. Yeah. Amen. Amen. There you I, go. Well, and two, uh, you know, his his uh, presentation of dispensationalism is just dead accurate. Right. Did a good job. With what with what I agree with. And I'm I don't agree with the hyper hyper dispensational view of everything started at Acts 9. I, I don't I don't agree with that. But I do uh, hold to that dispensational viewpoint. I know that we've been going a long time, but is it possible that we could do the next? I think we can do John MacArthur. Uh, We got another one here, John MacArthur, and he, of course, is uh, of the Reformed theology, it's called. Uh, Yeah. He has a, uh, he believes in, he's a Calvinist. He's a Calvinist. He's a Calvinist. But you know, I'm trying to uh, learn more and more of what the Calvinist viewpoint is, and also, if you go completely back to strict Calvinism, I have a, tremendously hard time with those five points. I do too. I have uh, a hard time with the five points but it of Calvinism. Looks, it looks like to me that even Calvinism is maturing somewhat from the time of, of John Calvin, you know. So yeah. we'll see what uh, John MacArthur has, I think, done a wonderful job. And you and I had some problems with, well, how can you be a Calvinist and and believe in the rapture of the church. I still have a question okay. about that. I know, and we're, 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 we'll, dis- we're, we'll, yeah, discuss we're going to discuss it. that because I do have, I, I've got questions about that. But the way he handles. Um, Up to this point. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let, let's play that yeah. one, Jason, okay. if you would. And we'll say a few comments there, and that'll lead us up to some new ones. Yeah. John McCarthy. Yes. Good evening, Brother John. Hi. My name is Arno Babajanian. I'm a member of Grace Community Church, Foundation Bible Study, and Sojourners Fellowship Group. Good. Yeah. My question is, why Puritans were post-meal and a lot of Reformed brothers if dispensationalism is biblical? So your question was why the Puritans were uh, post-mill, post-millennial. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's break down the language what we're talking about. So we're, he's asking a question about eschatology, what you believe about the end times. And if you go back in, in church history, there are basically three views. There is what we call the premillennial view. That is that you believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to return, he's going to rapture the church, and then he's going to come back in judgment on the earth during a time of tribulation. At the end of that time, he will return to establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. So we believe that Christ will come before the millennial kingdom. Millennium just means a thousand, and in Revelation 20, we are told he will reign for a thousand years, about a half a dozen times. So th that is the standard, um, most common understanding of the future. And if you follow the book of Revelation, it makes sense. You have the church on earth in chapters two and three. Uh, all of a sudden you see the saints in heaven in chapters four and five. And then in chapter 6 through 18, all hell breaks loose in the world in the time of tribulation as judgment falls. At the end of that period of seven years, in Revelation 19, Christ returns and judges the ungodly. And then in chapter 20, he sets up his thousand-year millennial reign on the earth, and he reigns for a thousand years in righteousness and peace on the earth. At the end of that time, the entire universe goes out of existence and he creates the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state. That's the chronology of the book of Revelation. But through the years of theology and discussion, that, that has not been what everybody believed. And part of it was there's a certain progress to the development of theology. So there have been a couple of other alternatives. One other alternative is that there's no real millennium, that the thousand years doesn't really mean a thousand years, and the Lord is not going to come back and set up His kingdom on earth. Uh, the, the millennium is just a kind of a spiritual idea. These people are called ah millennialists. The alpha privative means they reject the millennium. So they would say that whatever is going on in Revelation 20, it doesn't mean a thousand years and it doesn't mean a kingdom on earth because there's not going to be a kingdom on earth any different than the current kingdom, which is the church in the world. And then there is the post-millennial view, and that is that Christ comes after the millennium. And there were, there were many of the Puritans who held to that view there were some who were with every view, but the post-millennial view says this, 
And this is a hard sell. The post-millennial view says things are going to get increasingly better in the world. That is a hard sell. That's a hard sell. And the church is going to flourish and grow and not only be a spiritual entity in the world, but the church is going to take over all the institutions of the culture. You hear people who are post-millennial talk about culture war. And that's dominion. So they're sort of trapped yes. with, on the one hand, a desire to preach the gospel so people are converted, and on the other hand, a desire to take over the institutions of man in order that they can bring about the kingdom and then hand it to Christ when he returns. Right. Wow. Uh, That's prideful. People who believe that, mm -hmm. that is a very difficult thing to believe. That the world is going to get better and better and better when the Bible says it's going to get what? Worse, worse and worse <laughs> and worse. But that's um that's a very difficult thing to hold to. In fact, most post-millennialists <laughs> faded away after World War I and World War II. <laughs> World War II, 71 million people were killed. And that, that is the darkest era of human history. And it was in a relatively modern time. And the world hasn't improved since then. But in the era of the Reformers and the Puritans, the clarity of those doctrines was not developed, and I'll, I'll tell you why. When the church emerged out of a, a thousand years of Roman Catholicism, this is good, yeah. in the Reformation, it had to reestablish every doctrine. They had councils on the nature of Christ, the deity of Christ, the nature of God, the nature of salvation, the authority of Scripture. They were recovering from the apostate Roman system, the true understanding of Scripture. And the early reformers didn't get all the way to the end of capturing, recapturing, reaffirming the full range of biblical doctrine. That's a good point. Yeah. So you have someone like uh, Martin Luther who... God used to recapture the doctrine of justification by faith, and you have John Calvin, the Lord used to clarify the essence of the doctrine of salvation in the widest possible understanding. But, but, but they didn't get to eschatology. In fact, John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible but Revelation. That's something. Yeah. They fought so many battles on the foundations, it took time in the recovery process to clarify and crystallize eschatology. But now that you have the clarity of eschatology and you have a simple, straightforward interpretation of the book of Revelation, the chronology of Revelation is clear. Yeah. The church is on the earth in chapters 2 and 3, letters to the churches on earth. The church appears in heaven in 4 and 5, which would indicate a rapture. In chapter 6 through 18, you have the judgments that come in the time of tribulation. After that, the Lord comes, destroys the ungodly, establishes millennial kingdom in Revelation 20. And then in chapter 21 and 22, you have the new heaven and the new earth. That's the simple yeah, chronology that's of right. that's Revelation. Right. That's right. And it's not difficult 
In fact, it starts with a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads and understands this book. It's not complicated. In fact, to be a successful amillennialist, you have to say that this doesn't mean what it says. Yeah. And to be a successful postmillennialist, you'd have to say this doesn't mean what it says. Yeah. But we're far enough along in the development of theology in the church that we can't claim that we've been so busy battling other aspects of theology we didn't get around to eschatology. We're there now, and I think what the Bible teaches is clear. But there were times in history when they hadn't quite gotten to that yet. Okay? That's good. Man. Amen. Amen. That's good. I, I'm glad we showed that because th this is a guy that I would disagree with on, on some a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But on that, I, I have to say amen because he, he presents that in, in a simplified form. I embrace that, and, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm glad we showed that. And what parts is the main part that you would disagree with him on? Well, as far as, as the Calvinism predestination. Yeah, yeah. Okay. when you get to the five points of Calvinism, I, I agree with two of those points. Mm -hmm. I have questions about their inter interpretation on the other three points. Mm -hmm. They believe in, in uh, what's called tulip, total depravity, mm -hmm. the total depravity of man, I agree with. Mm -hmm. They go into unconditional election. What I've does got that some, mean? I've got some problems with that. God has predestinated some to go to heaven, predestinated others okay. to go to hell from birth. And, you know. and then they believe in limited atonement, which I find that hard to grab a hold mm -hmm. of, that the Lord Jesus died for the elect. Mm -hmm. Didn't die for he all. He didn't die for all. And that kind of violates some scripture. That, right? that violates places in scripture. They, they teach irresistible grace. Which though is. I understand that uh, the grace of God is so amazing that to those that's been saved, it is irresistible. But can I tell you, there are times that the Scriptures talks about us turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's what it says, yeah. So it can be resisted to that degree. I do agree with the last point of Calvinism, which talks about the perseverance of the saints, where they are eternally mm -hmm saved by God's mm -hmm. grace, and no man can pluck them out of the Father's hand. So mm -hmm. though I disagree with him on some points of what he believes, the way he believes eschatology in the end times, I totally, totally agree with. Well, how does a Calvinist get into pre-tribute? How does that? That is the subject for coming for podcast. Yes, podcasts. Yes, because that has drove me crazy over the last couple of weeks. Because most Calvinists are into replacement theology. They have to be. And so if you're into replacement theology, just... How can you then believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church? We have more to learn. Yes, I have more to learn. And, and I'm hoping that... Uh, well, maybe Jason uh, could tell us. I mean, Yeah, I because I think he's a pretty much a Calvinist. And uh, so, you know, we can... <laughs> I was. I think he's a little more... Not Calvinist, not disciplined. He's more of a mountain man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He is a prepper. I'm just saying. Well, I am Pepper. He's Pepper. He's Pepper. <laughs> I go with that. That's right. That's right. I find all this stuff really interesting, and I think a lot of people have those yeah. questions. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed that first video. In people I'm around, that is a huge 
something that it people talk about and they don't yeah. understand it. No, I don't understand it all. Yeah. yeah. But I thought that guy really presented it in a way that uh, yeah. is very palatable he did for a people. Great job. And he he, did he, a great he, job. he wasn't trying to make anybody look bad. No. Right. But it did make you feel stupid if you're a Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that is true. But you know, but there's offshoots we talked yeah. about at the beginning about dominionism and yeah. I'm hoping we'll do some podcasts we about that we in will. coming yeah. up. Because that's that plays into all of this. And, it and does, it does. And there's a there's an element. And I was watching somebody. I think I told you a few days ago, Jeff, that was making fun of people who believed in the rapture of the church. He was yeah. just making fun of rapture and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy did a very good job of not sliding. Right. A cov- if you're in yeah. covenant yeah. or dispensational, he 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 showed the warts in both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did, I thought, a very tactful yeah, way of, of approaching, even though he disagreed some. Yeah. He still didn't discount it as brothers, and I do appreciate that. And, and, and can I just, I know we've talked a lot today, and we've held on long, but some there's there may be some people that would say, well, why is this, why is this stuff even important? Here's why it's important. In the day we're living in, there are so many people from v- uh, various theological backgrounds right. that's leading churches many of them the in conclusions that their theology brings them to are things that are dangerous mm-hmm. they're just dangerous yeah and so these things are important they're extremely important to know what you believe and why you believe yeah. it i think uh, before you could get by without it i don't i, don't, I think right. up until the days that we're living in it didn't matter mm-hmm. so much because nobody thought i mean we're, we're approaching a time now where eschatology we're living those we're we're living we're in that, those we're in those days and the way that you present this to people could be the either them being saved or not yeah, that's, right. that's right that's right so it's it's almost more of a salvation issue yes, to me it because becomes that. It, it becomes it that. that yes so Without that's why i think any, even now more than ever correct yeah. theology is it's, is, it's, it's a must very, it's very important and even though we don't fully agree with each other on I mean, like, I would have no problem. I think uh, John MacArthur's in California. Mm-hmm. Is he in Orange County? Or I'm not I'm sure. Not yeah, he's in, he's in, like, L.A. He's in, in Orange LA? County. Okay. I wouldn't have any problem with recommending somebody go to his church. Oh, no, not Absolutely. at all. Not at all. Absolutely. I mean, now, they, they, they preach he a cover. He preaches the gospel. They preach a cover off a yeah. Bible. You know oh, what I'm saying? Oh, he can preach. And so preach. I wouldn't have any problems with recommending, no. even though. Everybody's not perfect like Jeff and myself. Well, that's so. right. He's not arrived at the place I'm at, but he'll get there. You know, if he okay. keeps working. Okay, we're running off in the ditch. Okay. <laughs> I knew, I knew we'd been serious long enough. <laughs> he'll get there. I've been praying for him. So. Alan, why don't you pray for us okay. until that's out of here? Uh, well, Lord Jesus, we do love you. We thank you for this opportunity today to do a podcast and. My land, do a podcast. We're doing it in your name. And yes, Lord. Lord God, you hadn't you hadn't struck us with lightning yet, and mm. we sure do appreciate that. Yes, Lord. <laughs> and yes. Lord, we ask and pray that you continue to give us time to do more podcasts. Pray for Jeff and yes, his healing. Thank you, Lord. Pray that this uh, cancer you, that it uh, get in there and it's not cancer. Right. I just Amen. Pray that, yeah. Uh, mm. That he'll come through this. We got a lot thank of work to do, you. a lot of podcasts to do, and lot, see a lot of souls saved. Mm-hmm. So, Lord Jesus, it's our prayer that you touch him and you'd heal him. Yes, and for all the others out there listening, that they could be looking at something like cancer or other illnesses and sicknesses, yes, we pray Jesus. for them right now. Yes. That the love of Christ, the healing power of Christ, 
would enter into their bodies mm-hmm. and bring healing. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' holy name. Okay, guys. Thank Amen. you, Jason. All right, we'll yep. see you thank next you, week. Thank you for joining today's Smith & Rowan Show. You can check out our website at kingdompropheticsociety.org and our daily unplugged podcast at smithandrollinshow.podbean.com. You can also join us on Amazon, Apple, or Spotify.